Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. My name is Amanda Aliberti, social worker at Adoptions from the Heart. We welcome you to our agency podcast, a platform to hear voices from all members of the adoption triad. We will be connecting with other organizations and professionals to collaborate about the services we offer our clients. We look forward to our audience learning more about adoption and the future growth of our community. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two of Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart, our podcast. This is the first episode of season two, and we're very excited to be back for another season. Today, I have uh, two social workers with me. First, I'll introduce myself. My name is Jenna Smith, and I am the domestic program coordinator at Adoptions from the Heart. I've been with the agency for about six years, uh, and my role is a role where I oversee the domestic uh, program and the domestic adoptions here at the agency, um, both uh, working with expecting parents and birth parents, as well as working with adoptive parents. So today I have um, Amanda Alberti. Uh, Amanda has been with the agency for eight years. She has a woman in gender studies uh, and sociology degree from American University. I also have with me Kristen Kachmar. Kristen is a licensed master's level social work from Marywood University, and she has been with the agency for three years. So I invited them today to have a conversation with me so we could share with you some of the some of the work and case management and services that we provide to expecting and birth parents and why we think it's so important. Kristen and Amanda have taken on new roles at the agency. Kristen is our expectant parent service manager. So she really focuses on expecting parents um, prior to placement. And then we have Amanda, who again is uh, the post-placement service manager. So she really takes a large role in providing services to women post-placement. To get started, we're just going to talk to you a little bit about um, why we think these services are so important and share with you a little bit about what we do. So Kristen, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about why you, you know, chose to work at Adoptions from the Heart and what interests you in the position of expectant parent service manager. So I have been with the agency, as you said, for about three years, and I chose Adoptions from the Heart just because I've always been really interested in children and family services um, and the role of being able to, you know, help place children and create, you know, these new beautiful families is something that's always been important to me. As far as why we decided as an agency to implement this role as expectant parent services manager is because we kind of, we're going through um, everything that we do, all the services that we provide to women. And we realized that there needed to be a specialized role for someone to kind of really prioritize the birth parent needs or expected parent needs before placement. I had previously had two placements where I had been working with women and we were in the hospital and we were doing an emergency placement, which I don't know if the audience knows what an emergency placement is, but it's when you're doing an adoption and kind of a short time period. A woman calls you from the hospital and you kind of have to do everything that you would do pre-placement in about one or two days. And I was doing an emergency placement and as a social worker, you kind of have a lot of roles when you're doing an emergency placement. You're 
communicating with the hospital staff, you're making sure the child is okay, you're trying to find a placement, present profiles to this expectant parent. And, you know, I realized that I kind of overlooked the needs of the birth parent. The birth parent reached out to me right before she was about to leave the hospital and told me she had no clothes to return home to. And it kind of a light bulb went off and I thought, why is this expectant parent or birth parents needs kind of not in the forefront? Why are we kind of overlooking this? How did I miss this? We started a conversation as social workers and realized we needed someone to kind of come in and really focus on these needs of the expectant and birth parents before they place to make sure that they are, you know, advocated for and supported. Right. Yeah. You know, because making sure birth parents have maternity clothes is, is definitely something that we've always done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, like you said, when we're getting these calls um, from women who are just giving birth and there, and we have two days to find a home for an infant, the infant's placement is, is certainly a priority, obviously, you know? Um, and so I remember when you came to me and you talked to me about this and you were like, I am just going to go to Walmart and get her an outfit. I think you, I think you just went and, and drove to Walmart and got her, got her some clothes, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, immediately I kind of felt shame as a social worker, realizing that I had all these things on my to-do list and I didn't take the time to sit down and focus and ask the birth parent, what do you need? She came to us to make a plan. And of course, that was my role to kind of help her make that adoption plan. But I may have, you know, missed some questions. And so forming that needs assessment is really helpful for our social workers to make sure our clients are really, you know, supported for all their needs and not just their pregnancy needs. Right. So you still work with women, but though largely under the domestic program, like social workers throughout any of our states and any of our offices can reach out to you during the time of emergency placement. And your role is essentially as the adoption social worker is in the hospital, finding a home, you know, for the baby and helping that process. You're co-currently working on making sure that her needs are met. You know, you're, you're looking at a variety of things, you know, not just, you know, not just clothing, but, you know, food, shelter, you know, um, some of those essential needs. Yeah, definitely. And I think the hope is in the future, you know, we'll be able to create these connections with other resources in the community. So we'll be able to kind of connect birth parents um, and expectant parents immediately so they don't really have to worry about all the back and forth and communication because they have a lot on their plate, making an adoption plan and other things to yeah. focus on. Yeah. So throughout this podcast, we'll get into more of some of the pre-placement and some of the resources and some of the services that we provide um, and how we've enhanced that over the last year. But before we get into that, I do want to take a moment to thank Amanda Alberti for being here. So thank you, Amanda, for joining us today. Amanda is our post-placement service manager. So Amanda, why don't you take a moment to explain a little bit about why you were motivated for this position specifically and tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You know, I've been with the agency for several years now, and my background has always been helping to empower women to make good decisions for themselves and their children. And that's kind of been the foundation of what I'm trying to accomplish. And adoption kind of fell into my lap because I think that's another area that women are able to make good decisions for their children and themselves without necessarily following along with what society tells them they have to do. 
So, I mean, I, I fell in love with adoptions from the heart. I very much believe in what we are trying to accomplish in placing children for adoption. And I think as social workers, when you're working one-on-one -on -one with these clients, you're doing the best you can to try to help make things better, right? But what I saw was that there was a need for helping long-term versus short-term, right? So in adoption, support is really necessary, not just before and during, but after. So I realized in chatting with a lot of other of the colleagues at Adoptions from the Heart that we needed a specific role to help long-term. So providing support, providing resources, providing the tools to help empower these women and men for the future so that we could try to help get them out of the negative positions they might have been in when they were placing. So that's kind of been the, the, the niche that I've been looking at. Um, a few years back, I started the support groups here in Delaware. And while we started with small numbers, I found the need for women to lean on other women during their grieving process. Yeah. And I support groups helped facilitate that. And this idea that if I've been through what you've been through, I can help guide you through that time period. And the support groups were kind of the beginning part to me realizing the importance of women leaning on other women who have been through. Yeah. Adoption. Yeah. And that as an agency, largely we do have members of our team on the adoption triad. You know, we've had women who are birth mothers work for our agency. We have some adoptive parents who work for our agency. Um, we have adoptees uh, who work for our agencies. And so there are some workers here who maybe know, uh, you know, especially birth mothers who work with birth mothers know exactly what they're going through. But I really agree with you that, you know, a social worker can really be there for their client and, and empathize with them and be there with them. But there's, there's nothing like having someone who's actually been in the same shoes, you know, connect with each other. So I think it's great that you've started this group and these women are able to, to talk to one another. That kind of leads into this new project we're developing, which is a mentor program, mentoring program rather, so that we can actually facilitate roles for people to lean on each other and feel like they can count on somebody as they're going through this process. Um, and I think the mentorship program is just one piece to this long-term support that we're trying to accomplish with this new role. And I'm really excited to be working with Kristen because I think the two roles and the two areas that we're trying to target really blend together and reaching them when they first come to us and then being able to help facilitate long-term care is going to be important to just the overall progress of the client. So yeah, engaging them. Absolutely. I think we're trying to look at different areas that we're going to target to help try to provide resources for our birth parents. You know, even simple things like proper nutrition, financial planning, um, housing, going back to school, all these different things that can help a client long-term and not just try to help fix the problem at the moment when they're placing their child. I think oftentimes people think adoption is just about placing children for adoption, and it's not. Um, I think it's about helping that person get back on their feet so that they can move forward in their own life and be proud of who they are and ultimately have their child be proud of who they are. And I think that's mm -hmm. important to the work that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I um, have to agree with Amanda. I think the fact that we've implemented these two roles at the same time is going to provide our clients, you know, full wraparound services. The one thing I loved about adoptions from the heart when I started is that, you know, we always say, 
you can reach out to us at any time. You know, you can reach out to us 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and we'll be here for you to support you and advocate for you. And these new services really empower that, that saying that we tell our clients. So one of the ways that we have really implemented these services, we've created a full needs assessment that really wraps around the client and all their needs outside of pregnancy. So we're really looking at, you know, what are their essential needs? What is their housing stability? Not just if they have housing in the moment, will they be able to sustain it after placement? You know, will I, can I reach out to Amanda to support these clients after placement to sustain their housing? Um, Because a lot of these women have children already or are already parenting and, you know, their kids are important as well. And the adoption laws have, some states have part of the adoption law where adoptive parents are able to help with some living expenses, um, but the, it's very short term, right? I mean, most of the states are a max of three months, I think, or there's, there's some limitations and, and it doesn't really help our birth parents sustain that ongoing, right? Which we would right. prefer for her to get resources and something in place. So it doesn't, it's not just a quick fix for three months, you know, but rather a long-term solution. Yeah. Yeah. And did she lose her housing because, you know, she had her job didn't offer maternity leave, you know, mm-hmm. is she able going to be able to pay her rent three months down the line. So having these real discussions with the client, um, you know, the social worker really has the discussions. And if she needs me, those extra housing needs, then they can reach out to me and we can support them, you know, and providing that extra support, not to the client, but also to the social worker. And Amanda, I think you're also talking about um, doing some type of workshop that is surrounds around nutrition and healthy eating. And because some of our clients um, live below the poverty line and, and they may not have access to, or may not prepare meals that are considered healthy meals. You were talking about some type of workshop or something that would help women prepare themselves with a more nutritious meal. Yeah, you know, I think something that people may take for granted is the support you're given when you're growing up. You have, whether it's parents, siblings, other folks in your family that are able to guide you along the way. And one of the things I've realized in working here and working with some of my clients is that they don't have that. A lot of them don't have somebody being there to um, give them advice, um, steer them in the right direction in their life. They, they don't have that support. And I realized that even after placement, a lot of these women were leaning on me for that guidance. It was almost like a big sister kind of thing. And you take for granted someone teaching you how to properly budget your money, how to go to the grocery store and buy healthy food how to properly take care of your body and go get birth control. Things like that you take for granted because you had the education and the support to do that. And a lot of these women, not all, but a lot of these women may not have that. And that's something that we're trying to focus on in this new role and this new path at Adoptions from the Heart is helping long-term to provide those resources moving forward. Because like you said, Jenna, you can throw money at a situation and help short-term to get somebody out of something. But Mm -hmm. if you take that money and you invest it in a way where they can help themselves long-term, you have a much better future for your client. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the goals in in trying to develop this role and the support that Adoptions from the Heart is trying to provide. 
provide. Yeah. And I mean, Kristen was talking about, uh, about housing and we're talking about food, but we also can't forget the, uh, the topic of utilities too. Utilities fall within the adoption laws where states say that you can pay for living expenses. Utilities fall within that. But I mean, how many times have we had clients in the middle of winter about to have their heat shut off or their water shut off or in the summer, their electric and no AC. So we really can come across some clients who, who do need some immediate assistance, right? But our goal isn't just to provide that. What is a benefit is that we do have a birth mother and expected parent donation fund. So that fund helps us when we have these emergency situations kind of come up where we can say birth mother's electric is going to be turned off in two days and it's supposed to be hundred degrees outside. And, and we can request a donation to the fund. And it is a donation fund that, you know, many of our adopted parents donate to people in the community can donate to through our website and the donation fund basically can provide a gift card to Walmart, a gift card to Giant, the grocery store. So that also is something that we still provide, but also this goal of changing into long-term solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even with the with the scholarship fund that we have, which is has been amazing, and I know it's helped a lot of our birth parents go back to school and further their education. What I realized in trying to advertise for that and offer it to women and men and to, to take part in that application process is there's this disconnect between I want to I want to do better with my life I want to change things I want to get a better job and then there's the scholarship fund right it's like well how do I get from point A to point B and I need somebody to help provide the path to do that right. um, where can I go back to school if I'm passionate about whatever hobby I have, and I want to do something with that, how can I make a career out of that? What school can I go to? What are my options? So having those resources to get them to that place is really important. And that's what I'm hopeful we could try to accomplish. Yeah, I definitely agree, Amanda. And I think being able to provide the extra tools and support for our social workers to frame those conversations um, is going to be an amazing resource for our clients in the future. Um, So hopefully these tools that we're providing and being able to support them with their housing and their food and their utilities and, you know, providing them extra education, um, we will really be able to kind of see our clients go from that point A to point B where they're, they're applying to our scholarship fund. Yeah. And, and to go off of school and employment on your needs assessment, Kristen, um, I know that, that we, you know, we gather some information about them and what they're needing. And you and Amanda are collaborating on some possible workshops, such as like resume writing and job interviewing. And, um, and we hope to have some of them this year, 2021. Yeah. I mean, at these support groups that we've been running here, the women are just so powerful and they're, they're able to say, I want more for myself, but I think they don't know how to get there. And I think that the hope is that with these workshops, we're able to facilitate that for them. And they're able to do more for themselves because they want it. They want to, to be proud of themselves. They want their children that they placed for adoption and those adoptive parents to be proud of who they are. So mm-hmm. I think taking things a step further is going to really just magnify what we're trying to do. 
Yeah. And a common misconception is that when people think of a scholarship fund, they think of, oh, okay, well, I have to go to college. I have to go to a college or university. But our scholarship fund, we also award to GEDs, trade schools. So it's not just a college or university. And if a client is, you know, maybe she had to drop out of high school or something or, or did and, and now wants to go get back and get her GED, we still accept her application uh, for the scholarship fund. And we provide that twice a year. And it doesn't always have to be an AFTH client. So we have women from all over the country apply for our scholarship fund, birth mothers, birth fathers as well, which I think is really important when we're talking about the expectant parent, we do mean birth fathers too. We really encourage birth fathers to be engaged in these services as well. Yeah, we've, we've seen a high number, I think, of participating birth fathers over the last several years. And, you know, in talking about mentoring, that's something else we're trying to work towards is having men lean on other men. Um, because oftentimes the birth father perspective is not talked about because people think they're not important. They're not included in the conversation. So I think that's something else we're trying to do is increase our services for birth fathers, um, particularly so that they can feel a part of, of, of the plan. Yeah. And Kristen, do you think you've seen an increase in birth fathers, um, you know, prior to placement and their involvement? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of birth father involvement. Um, I think what Amanda said is definitely true that birth fathers aren't always talked about. So it can be a little bit more difficult to draw them in. Changing the way we have these conversations and really focusing on the needs of the birth parents, but having those conversations has really started to include the birth fathers. And, you know, something we've always provided at Adoptions from the Heart is start, you know, if a birth father and a birth mother are not having the most comfortable relationship, maybe they're not on speaking terms, we're always there to kind of help them reach out to the birth father, counsel them, you know, provide them support and tools to kind of let them know what their options are. Yeah, uh, support services are, are really important. And like Amanda has already talked about, we, we do provide, you know, mentorship program, we have a birth parent support group, we have it through Facebook, um, if they're not interested in, you know, person to person interaction, or even zoom, we do have it through zoom as well. Um, you know, and, and after COVID, we plan to get back into in-person too, you know, so our clients have different options. And we also have, you know, birth parent references. There's women who agree to be a reference for us if, you know, if a birth mother's unsure if she wants, or expectant parent is unsure if she wants to work with our agency, she can call someone who has uh, for a reference on us and, and how the services was. But to go off of what you said, uh, speaking with the birth father is very important. And a lot of times women struggle with that. They struggle mm -hmm. with how do I bring up the topic of adoption to this, to this birth father or, and even their family, how do I bring up the conversation of adoption to my family? And um, so that's something, you know, that we definitely offer is to help sit down and the role play that conversation or be there with them when they have those conversations, because helping the birth mother create a support network is so incredibly important. One thing you don't want is for her to feel like she's alone in this. And one thing you don't want is for a birth father to feel like he's alone in this and only the birth mother's needs are being met. It's important that we, that we take the time to build a network for them 
whether that's through AFDH or through their own social support network, it's just to, to establish that and to have those conversations. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's why, you know, a lot of clients come to an agency, you know, to place their child to begin with, right? Because they're looking for that support. Um, it reminds me of a time that I, I recently did a placement and I was working with a woman who was really struggling with her decision. Um, no one knew that she was pregnant. Um, but she knew that this was kind of the decision she wanted to make. So I reached out to Amanda um, and kind of told her a little bit about my client. And she, within, you know, a couple hours had identified someone who had placed previously um, and, you know, connected them so they could be a support for each other. Um, and that worked wonders for my client when she was going through the grief process of placement. I, I think birth parents just want to be heard, right? right. Not, not yeah. all. I, I think when you talk to these birth parents that have an opportunity, women and men, and they're given a platform to share their story, they're so grateful that people are at least just listening to them because mm -hmm. people think, oh, these are bad people. They give away their babies and then they just go away somewhere. They mm -hmm. don't go away somewhere. They're still here. They're still a part of this. I mean, we have a woman in our support group who placed 29 years ago and she's still here. I mean, incredible she, woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she she's still a part of this conversation. She still grieves over her her child, um, and and the loss she faced in placement. And there, that's important. It's important for people to realize that that feeling doesn't go away. And birth parents just sometimes want people to know, I'm still here. I'm I'm a part of this. Um, I didn't just throw my child away and, and they want people to, to know their story. So I think that that in itself sometimes is important to just let them be heard. They don't always want you to fix the problem. They just want to be heard. And their circumstances change. I mean, this client that you're referring to, you know, um, why she was in support groups 20 years ago is totally different. Why she attends the support group today. You know, her child is now an adult things can change over the lifetime. And, and like you said, uh, the grief is a cycle and having that, that support is really important, which speaking of which I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the outreach and the advocacy that we're doing. Like you've said, Amanda, we've said that, you know, birth parents want to be heard, but they also really want to break the stigma too. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen an increase of birth mother or birth mothers and birth fathers who are interested in, in outreach and some advocacy. Yeah. Amanda has done an amazing job with reaching out to birth parents and speaking and getting them engaged in advocacy. Yeah, um, I know we are interested in tapping a little bit into the drug and alcohol community. We have seen with the opioid epidemic, of course, we've seen an increase in placements of women who are addicted to, to heroin or, or opiates. And so, of course, our goal is to help, you know, get them into a methadone clinic or suboxone clinic um, or rehab if that's something that they want. I mean, that's, that's of course, a priority. But um, what we find is that the once they get there, the staff there you know, not all, but some of the staff don't really understand domestic open adoption and what that really looks like and what that really means for them in that vulnerable state. They need that assistance, right? And so we have a team of women who, who want to help break that stigma and are want to help connect us to the drug and alcohol counselors in that community um, so we can begin these conversations and try to work together to help help them, um, you know, in this, in this transition. Yeah, I think another piece that I've learned in my time here is that there are women and men who want to participate in this conversation. 
um, they, they say phrases like, I want to give back. I want to come to the agency. I want to do more. What can I do? And I think we've tried to develop specific roles and leadership roles, particularly for some of our birth parents that want to do more. So you have birth parents in different arenas in life, one of which is, you know, addiction and recovery services or whatnot. And they want to be able to go out there, voice their experience, talk about what it felt like to come to adoptions from the heart, not have judgment, not have pressure, not have that shame associated with being an addict and wanting to place your child for adoption, right? So these birth parents want to participate in that. So what we're trying to do is use them in a way where they feel empowered to talk about their story. And in turn, we're able to continue to spread the word of who we are and, and do the proper outreach so that we can reach some of these folks that might be in similar shoes. So we're really excited about that. That's something very new is to kind of um, use birth parents in a way where they're almost like our little resources in, in different communities. So mm -hmm. we're excited right. to 2021 brings with that because I've already been receiving a lot of um, messages from women and men who are like, yes, please use me. I want to go to Planned Parenthood. I want to go to this recovery group that I'm a part mm -hmm. of and talk about my experience. They just need the tools to get there. So that's what we're going right. to kind of help facilitate. I think that outreach in the community has always been one of our biggest focuses and, you know, switching the way we do our outreach and using our birth parents as voices. Um, Cause like Jenna said in the beginning of this podcast, who knows it better than the people that have been through it? You know, we can go into a social service agency and give them our folders as much as we want, but having a birth parent go in and say, you know, I went through this and this is what I experienced here at this agency you know, when I was grieving is a totally different message that we're sharing with other agencies in the community. And I, I think it's important to note something. Um, oftentimes people associate us with adoption and that's all we do. Mm -hmm. And it's important to remember that facing an unplanned pregnancy is one of the scariest things a woman or a man can, can face in life. Right. And being able to call out to somebody that's going to sit down with you and not pressure you into a decision, but really talk through all of your options is so important. And I think that's something else that people should realize that we do and something that we're trying to accomplish here so that people feel like they have the support. These women are able to talk about their experience of, you know, just finding out that they're pregnant and just having this breakdown of what am I going to do, picking up the phone, making that call and feeling comfortable enough to come in and sit down with a counselor and not just have adoption be thrown in their face. Um, mm -hmm. One of the most rewarding experiences I've had is actually working with a woman who has changed her mind and decided to parent. Um, and that may seem kind of strange, but to have a woman say, you know what, I made the wrong decision and I realized that parenting was actually what was right for me and my family. And I appreciate your guidance and support through that process shows that we were able to really be there for her, for what she wanted for her child, not for what everybody said she should do for her child, but she was able to facilitate what she wanted in her life. And I think that that's an important piece to remember because people often just associate um, the stereotypes of what adoption is. Yeah. To go back to, to some of the outreach, you know, we're also just trying to, to fill the gaps. You know, we've, we've had situations where women are in the hospital 
hospital or they're at their OBGYN or if they're at their clinic and, and they've shared, um, you know, feeling judged about their decision or felt like the staff there didn't feel comfortable talking to them about adoption. We understand that these professionals, that's not their intent, you know, um, but there's language out there that has been used for years that's incorrect. Uh, a lot of times professionals are, are using the words give up and that's, that's not an appropriate adoption positive language. You know, we prefer to say she's making an adoption plan or she's, um, she's uh, making a plan for her child. She's not giving up. And sometimes, you know, that language can really, really make a birth parent feel judged and feel and feel unsupported. And, and we know that our, that our nurses and, and our doctors, you know, it's not their intent. There's just, uh, you know, some, some, some gaps that we need to fill when it comes to sharing the birth parents' voices, sharing their experiences and providing feedback to some of these locations um, and, and, and some of the experiences that our clients have had there. Um, I remember we did a placement and, you know, our client explained that she had some grievances with the hospital, you know, some staff came in and didn't use the appropriate language and, you know, she felt pressured to make a decision. Um, we then followed up with the hospital and shared the feedback. Um, and the next time we went in the hospital, they put a little cutout outside her door. Um, so all the staff know that the, the client is making an adoption plan, but it's also a symbol that other people who do not work in the hospital would not know what it means. Um, so that way, when people walk into the hospital room, you know, they use adoption appropriate language and they're sensitive of what the client's going through. Words are really important and positive adoption language is such a significant piece to what we're doing here. Um, I'll never forget, I had a client, it was a donor who wrote a letter to, to the client to talk about like, you know, why they made a donation and why they support birth parents. And I remember in the letter, she, she used some type of phrase as if I respect you and your decision. And the birth parent, when I was reading it to her, turned around and said, that was one of the most powerful things I've ever heard because nobody ever tells me that they respect me for the decision I made. And it was in that moment that I realized you don't recognize how important it is to validate a person and, and the choice they make. And these women are kind of like craving that and to have somebody make them feel important, feel heard, feel respected, like just changed her perspective on things. And it just goes to show again, how you speak and the words you say mean something. Um, and that's important. Yeah. And I think, um, I think to, to, to go off of that, that's really why we started AFTH TV because we wanted to share these very powerful voices. And we even dedicated an entire season to birth mother voices. And most recently this past year in 2020, we dedicated a season to black voices in adoption. The voices of our clients are, are very important and it's definitely something um, that we continue to work on to enhance and to, and, to, and to bridge that gap. So I wanna also talk a little bit more about our clients' um, medical needs because I know that just like living expenses, um, sometimes it is appropriate for adoptive parents to help with some medical costs. Most of our birth mothers are on state insurance, but some of them do have private insurance or between jobs or something like that. And, you know, they have these deductibles, they have these um, co-pays. I've, I've worked with many women who come and don't even have an OBGYN. So we have to help them, you know, find a doctor. I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a little bit about some of the, some of the services that we provide to women who, who are in need of some medical care. 
Yeah. Um, medical care is so essential for a woman who is experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, um, not only to have the support from the agency to explore their options, but to explore their medical options um, and make sure the baby's safe and that they're doing okay. If a woman comes to us and she doesn't have you know, medical insurance, or maybe she hasn't been connected to an OBGYN. Our first step is really kind of identifying um, what are her barriers to obtaining medical insurance? Can she be approved for state insurance? Can we help her through that process? Can we process the application for her? Can we find a local OBGYN who will accept her insurance? Maybe she just doesn't know how to connect to a safe medical provider. Um, mm -hmm. So really um, identifying that in the needs assessment um, to make sure that the client is accessing you know, safe medical care is super important. It's, it's also important to remember that we can provide the service of bringing women to prenatal appointments and mm -hmm. being that support person with them at, at those, those clinics. Because oftentimes these OBGYNs don't really know much about adoption. And when they see on their, their um, paperwork that they're making a plan, it's like, oh, hush, hush, let's not talk about that. And oftentimes I've gone with women to these doctor's appointments to answer any questions they might have, help facilitate the connection between, okay, yes, I'm placing my child for adoption with this family, but these are still what, these, these are the things I still want out of my hospital experience. And I still want to hold my baby. I still want to feed my baby and all those things are okay. So helping to be that um, person there is important and we can help facilitate that, which, which is important. I've gone to many, many appointments with women where they're like, eh, I don't know if this doctor is going to be okay with this. And I'm like, no, let's just walk in there. Let's talk about it and it will be okay. And that's important to remember too, that we can help provide that service. Yeah. And eliminating that difficult transition, you know, maybe from the OBGYN to the hospital, you know, making sure we call the doctor um, or the social worker at the hospital and let them know that someone's coming in with an adoption plan. This is what she would like and making sure the client really doesn't have to deal with any of those um, difficulties working yeah. out her adoption plan. Yeah. And a lot of the times that we, that when, when, at least in my experiences, when I've seen that women aren't receiving prenatal care or they're not um, going to the doctor, it's, it's really a lack of transportation. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to, to go, to travel to pick your birth parent up, to take them to the doctors is, is really important. And, and I think it's so important. We found it was so important and such a need that we even established an agency's Uber account, you know, in the event that we can't, you know, maybe we're in another meeting or the, or the appointment got changed and there's a conflict. Um, of course our priority is we want to be there, but, but maybe also she just doesn't want us to be there and she's comfortable and the doctor's a great doctor and she's got all this covered, you know, with our birth parent fund, we could also offer a bus pass if that's her preferred method of transportation. And so, um, yeah, transportation to access to medical care, in addition to having insurance, is just as important for sure. So we also talk about mental health and, and this is, we've, we've kind of touched on this throughout so far that today's podcast, where we talk about our support groups and what we do. Um, a lot of the women that, that I've seen and, um, and, you know, please let me know if you've seen it too, report feeling um, depressed, report feeling anxious. You know, we have, you know, almost all of our situations, I feel like, you know, are self-reporting depression and anxiety, uh, many of which are not on any medication. And, um, and some may say, well, that's 
probably because they're pregnant, but the reality is, is no, they weren't on medication prior to being pregnant and they don't plan to be on medication after, uh, after being pregnant because they actually don't have any services in place to help them. Um, have you guys seen that as well? Yeah. I think that mental health needs are very important when, you know, addressing mental health needs during the adoption plan and providing services, you know, outside of adoptions from the heart. These clients are also, once they place, are going to go through the grieving process. So making sure they have started a relationship with the therapist is really essential um, for them to really process their adoption adoption plan um, and continue, you know, growing in their life. Amanda, have you, what is your experience with mental health needs and, you know, clients and their access to it? Mental health has always been a tricky thing, I think, in adoption. In, in my time here at Adoptions from the Heart, and I'm located in the Delaware office, it's really hard to find a therapist that specializes in what we're doing here. Right. And I think in general, services and resources for women, especially that are in poverty are not always great, right? That's just the reality of it, unfortunately. And I think people get put on a list and then they get sent to this person and they make a phone call and check in, but it's not really the counseling or therapy that they really need. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes medication is thrown at them and that's not really working either. There's lots of things that I think are not working necessarily in the mental health field. If you ask my opinion of what I've mm -hmm. seen some of my clients. So that part is, is a little unfortunate. And when I do have a client that finds a therapist or a counselor through state Medicaid or whatnot, I try to keep that in mind for future clients because it's really hard to find therapists that specialize in what we're doing here. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree. Mental health is a big part to what we're doing here. And those struggles might have existed before they start coming about during mm -hmm. or they present themselves afterwards. So that's a big piece to that. And people who try to judge and say, well, you know, why are they on medication or whatnot? Well, when you're going through an adoption plan, there, there's a lot happening here. So mm -hmm. yeah. you know, mental health is being pulled at. Um, and the stigma around mental health and medication is still not great in general. Yeah you're talking about adoption or not. So I think that's an ever going conversation for sure. Yeah. And I think, a, I think a common misconception is that, oh, well, they're coming to you for counseling and it's like, well, yeah, they're coming to us for, for adoption counseling, um, you know, and unplanned pregnancy counseling and um, open adoption counseling, but we are not licensed therapists. Uh, we do not provide ongoing therapy. We you know, the three of us are not therapists and our social workers are social workers. They're not all, they're not therapists. You know, when a client is in need of therapy, um, like you said, finding them a therapist that accepts their insurance is, is, is very challenging. It is very challenging. But one of the things that we're, we're looking to do is to try to bring the therapist to us um, and hold some workshops. And so um, I know we're, we're thinking about doing a three-part, um, or at least we're brainstorming the idea of a three-part workshop this year. Yeah, I actually just got off the phone <laughs> with, uh, with Miss Joni Mantel, who is a psychotherapist, I believe, um, and she has been gracious enough to um, connect with us and take part in this three-part workshop where she's going to do this therapeutic writing exercise. Um, we're going to start with birth parents for the first group then work with adoptive parents for the second group. And then in the third group, bring them together. And just in chatting with her about how writing can really help release 
a lot of what might be going on inside of a client um, is, is really powerful. And I'm looking forward to it because I think it'll be just yet another resource to provide our clients um, as they're going through this processing, whether you're a birth parent or an adoptive parent. So I think that'll be a great channel for some of these women to, to use in, in their processing of everything. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Really does sound great. Well, these conversations today was, was, was really great. I mean, I think that the direction that the agency is going in is really a positive direction um, for our, our birth mothers or birth fathers, our expected parents, and, um, and the services that you are trying to, you know, these are services, again, that we've, we've always provided, but the two, the two of you are really fine-tuning them. You're really enhancing them, and you're really um, bringing them current to today, you know, um, just the overall uh, tone of what people thought open adoption was 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago is different. You know, a lot more people understand a, a, a open adoption today. Um, not, not everyone, but you know, there's more people who understand what open adoption is. And so um, I really think it's great that the two of you are working on, um, on enhancing this and updating it and keeping it fresh and, and really providing these services to our clients. Yeah, I'm really excited to be working with Amanda um, and the agency, of course, but really collaborating with Amanda and seeing what, you know, growth we can see in our clients from, you know, before they made the placement until, you know, years after placement when, you know, they reach back out to us. And I just think, you know, with these new resources and tools, we are going to enhance what the community thinks about adoption and their, their education about adoption. And that's really what we're here to do. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, you guys took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that, you know, I think as social workers, as counselors, we're always trying to fix problems, right? We're always trying to make things better. That's who we are, that's what we stand for. And I, I'm so excited that our agency is taking this next step in developing these particular roles to really target some of these discussions that we've been having. I'll never forget, this was probably about 15 years ago now when I was in Kenya working with some women there. Um, I carry this with me all the time. Um, I was working for a nonprofit organization and instead of trying to just throw money at these women who needed help, they took that money and they invested it in them to help train them to become domestic workers. And ultimately it helped their life and their livelihood and their children. And I've always carried that with me, even in my role here at Adoptions from the Heart, that it's so easy to just try to fix someone's problem today. But if you really invest in their future, you, you, you're golden because you're able to really help them, their children and their future children. So um, I'm excited to see what we, what we do here. I'm excited to work with Jenna, um, you know, Kristen and just kind of see, see what, what else, what else is out there for us to, to get into. Yeah. And so these are, this is just some of the work that we're really diving into for our expectant parents and our birth parents. But um, you know, that goes without saying that obviously um, services for adoptive parents are, are very important too. And, and, um, and we really are looking to uh, also enhance our services provided to adoptees. So we're really trying to put a call out there for adoptees to contact us and to be in touch with us. Um, you know, a lot of our adoptees were in business for 35 years. And so while we didn't do um, a ton of placements in those first couple of years, we did placements and, um, and and those and those children are now adults 
And, um, and so we bring in, um, you know, our adoptees, uh, you know, we've brought in some transracial adoptees to talk to us about um, their experiences of being raised in transracial family, their openness, their, um, you know, we've talked to, uh, we have some adoptees coming back and asking to be interns with us. And so uh, that's a really exciting piece too, uh, that we also hope to transition to in the future. Wow. Well, thank you ladies so much. This has really been such a great conversation today. And so I really thank you, Amanda, for being here and Kristen, you for being here as well and sharing uh, the roles that you've taken on and some of the, um, the additional services that you've really enhanced here at Adoptions from the Heart. Um, I, I'm so thankful for it. And I think our clients are really thankful for it too. So thank you so much for being here today. And um, we just want to take a moment to, to thank you all, all of your listeners um, for being here for today's podcast. We hope you join us for future podcasts. We also suggest that you go take a look at our episodes, AFTH TV. Uh, we've done several seasons on that and we, can, and we hope to do several more seasons with this Heart to Heart podcast. So we want to thank you so much for listening in with us today. Uh, we'd like to end this podcast with some of words from the women that we've worked with and sharing some of their experiences. Thanks so much. Well, first coming in here and seeing that I could talk and because at the time I came, it was at a, a low point and it got me to a point where I could talk and speak and me going through that kind of was like, hey, other girls need to come here because it's not that scary because you're not alone. And I just started opening up more and more, which I didn't think I was going to do at all. Mm -hmm. I just, I love it. And now every time I'm here, I open up a little bit more. And having support from other women um, really helped me and attending the support groups monthly mm -hmm. is so beneficial. I wish they were more often. Mm -hmm.